Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Unmotivated Habits Podcast, the first episode of 2021. I'm so happy to be starting the year with this podcast in particular. For for those of you who follow the live streams over at twitch.tv slash Zwift, I've been talking about this episode during my workouts for a while now because um, I've been working very hard to put this episode's lessons into practice. Today's guest is Nora Wagner, and um, she's a doctor of physical therapy. She's a certified strength and conditioning specialist, a former Olympic weightlifter and coach, and her practice specializes in integrating all body systems to find the missing link or the weakest link to optimize performance or, or to overcome injury or resolve chronic conditions. And just overall improve quality of life and anyone who knows me knows that I am on a quest to do every one of those things Um, you know resolve all my injuries and optimize performance um, and fix my chronic back problems all of it so this was right in line with everything I've been trying to do so um, I was very excited about this episode and I hope everyone enjoys it as much as as I did um, having the conversation I'm sure we'll uh, have Nora back on to talk about everything we didn't yet cover. But before we start this episode, um, I'd like to again ask, you know, if you've been enjoying the podcast, please rate it or leave a review on whichever platform you listen. And also, if you're interested in following along with the live workouts, then go over to twitch.tv slash Zwift, Z-W-I-F-T. And uh, if you hit the follow button there, you'll get notified whenever I go live to do my Um, workouts or my cycling sessions um, where we have a pretty good crew now who who chimes in and we have some good talk so if you're interested head over twitch.tv slash swift instagram unmotivated habits uh, twitter unmotivated habits everywhere unmotivated habits so again thanks for everyone who made 2020 awesome and uh, listened to the podcast and i hope you stick around because we got plenty of good ones um in the queue here to come. So that's it. Enjoy today's episode. Hi, Nora. Thank you. We got through all the technical difficulties and we are on our way in this episode. Um, it's I, I was taking some notes. I didn't know where to start because we have so many overlapping interests. For me, they're interests. For you, it's your profession, which is um, breathing, and that especially related to sports and injuries and physical therapy and breaking through plateaus, and then competitive powerlifting and just general physical therapy, which I've spent plenty of time in. So there, there's so much, and I, I didn't know where to begin, but thank you for, for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Oh my God, I'm so excited to be here. And if you ask anybody that I know, um, I could talk to a wall about this stuff. because I just <laughs> Me too. Oh, I know we're scheduled for 45 minutes, but I mean, well, I need someone in the background just waving me like a five minute timer because I can literally talk about it that much. We'll, we'll make it a 10 part series, don't worry. Awesome. So I think a good place to start, because when we initially reached out was the, the breathwork stuff. Is that um, something that came later on? Uh, I know for me, I didn't incorporate breathwork into my sports and powerlifting until way later, because I didn't even know about it. Is that the same case for you? Um, so I actually, I, um, the way that came for me, being in the the physical therapy world was I work uh, with all sorts of people. I have a a very, very diverse background, anywhere from sports injury. That's where I started in the field. Um, Currently, I do mostly complex pediatric cases, uh, development, things like that. Mm -hmm. But I I just love um, the thing about being a therapist is that you can kind of go into any field that you want. So for me, I like a lot of novelty. I like a lot of change, uh, but I also like my constants. So the nice thing about the breathing work that I found a little bit later in my my profession is that everybody has a set of lungs. Um, Everybody has a diaphragm. Everybody has a cardiovascular system. 
So the really cool thing about what I do is that you can apply it basically to anybody that you're working with, uh, from a very high level athlete to um, just a newborn who might be born premature and is in the NICU. Mm -hmm. so, uh, the stuff is really, really fascinating. Um, but I didn't solely focus on it until, let's see, this past year, um, I just started my own practice because it is that cool. So uh, I said, screw you, corporate America. Let me show you how cool this stuff is because a lot of insurances don't really get, don't understand how this, this PT is going to change this patient with breathing. Um, so a lot, a lot of them don't understand if they're athletes, they're usually high level enough to where insurance is like, I can't really justify giving you this treatment. So what I do is more so now on the, the weightlifting world, since I was a former competitive weightlifter, I do almost just wellness and screenings for those athletes. Uh, they might not need it, but if you can identify your breathing pattern and if it's conducive to the sport you're trying to do, then, um, if, if it pairs well, you probably don't need me. If you, if it doesn't pair well, you're probably going to um, need my help quite a bit. It's uh, one of those underlying things that everybody will try everything from kinesio taping to, um, I don't even know, the voodoo flossing and stuff like that before they actually find out it was their breathing all along. So Yeah. Yeah. It, it might be, it might be a little while longer until, insurance companies catch on to how beneficial breathing can be for mm -hmm. aspects of life. But it's interesting you bring that up because um, as far as the, the athletes who have tried everything but breath work, my, my brother specifically, I'll send this to him. He's a high level um, Ironman triathloner, you know, top five, top three finisher. And um, he's always interested in things that can give him you know, an incremental edge, but he, he's not interested in the breath work. I mean, he, he, he's interested in his, uh, breathing while running, um, things like that, but, uh, breath work as a tool, it's, I'm hard, it's hard to sell him on it. So how would you sell him on that as potentially getting him to that, that next level, breaking through that plateau? Those are my favorite people to work with. So um, I don't know if he necessarily has any impairments that he deals with in his sport, but usually um, when I tell, when I start spitting facts on um, your whole respiratory system, the muscles involved and how it's used, because um, a lot of people check out right away. Uh, that's usually the, the hard part, the buy-in. People are like, I don't really know. Uh, what you do, I heard about you, and I heard that I need to come see you. I heard I hear you do something with breathing, um, so I'm desperate. And what do you have mm -hmm. for me? I usually, leave with me dropping the mic, and then seeing you know right away some sort of improvement and some sort of carryover that they can do right away. So, for for those those uh, types of people, I guess my first thing would be, well, what do you, what do you feel is your limitation? what are you currently doing in terms of your breathing? And then it more so what for athletes, what I like to find is, do you feel so for, for your brother would be, do you feel limited by your muscles or do you feel limited by your lungs? So uh, what it, when you start to get fatigued, what is burning first, your lungs or your muscles? Because both of them, the, the way that you are breathing can um, take me on the path to which way. Uh, to investigate first. So uh, it's very, very highly dependent on everybody. But usually, like I said, everybody has these muscles, everyone has a cardiovascular system, especially to, depending on the sport you do shapes it very well. Mm -hmm. uh, if you are, they, they might say to, um, I don't know if your brother has a history of asthma or something along those lines exercise-induced asthma, how allergens, altitude, things like that, how just dropping those facts uh, to people, they start getting really, really interested. And then they kind of really don't understand that you can strength train your diaphragm. It is a muscle. Mm -hmm. um, and you can train your diaphragm to act in, in certain scenarios for stiffness or for, for flexibility, depending on what you're trying to do. You can really take a competitive edge, even if you're a runner. So 
Runners typically have more of a flexible diaphragm because they need big lung volume and big lung capacity for to support their aerobic uh, sport. And what you, you don't know is that when you start doing things like running uphill or you doing, you're doing um, more things that are concentrically demanding, let's say you have to get that last leg of the race where you're you're tied with three other people and you've got to start sprinting to get there. So even though you might be more of an endurance based, now you have to switch over into anaerobic yeah. and be, you know, just to get that competitive edge, you can actually train your diaphragm to kind of switch and bear down to stabilize you so that you get more power output in that last leg of your race, rather than that easy steady pace running that you might be uh, used to. So when, when they start to hear those things they're that's when I usually start to get the curiosity, the buy-in and then, when they go home and apply it, they're like, oh my God, this is insane. You know, I shaved, you know, 30 seconds off my normal, whatever time that they're doing. Uh, so I do really like to work with endurance athletes because I think, um, uh, how do I say this? They, <laughs> they already think like they have it all, right? Yeah. They're like, endurance is great. I can go forever. And then it's like, yeah, but are you truly using um, those muscles to your advantage? Or are you just um, taking advantage of them? Yeah, that's and that you you caught my attention with that um, in endurance training, switching from between aerobic and anaerobic, uh, because I every Monday I do a, a stream uh, on my bike. It's called I call it Max Wattage Monday. And what I'm trying to do is I'm on my bike and I, I just ride at a steady pace. And then every half of every mile and a half, two miles, I will try to hit the max wattage I can hit just a short burst, the highest wattage I can hit. And then I wait for my body to recover mile, mile and a half before I give it another effort. I do three or four attempts, but, um, it is, I'm trying to figure out how to incorporate breath work into it to improve, um, not only improve hitting higher max wattages, but to get my heart rate down faster to recover faster because I don't know what it is. Some days it's some days I can get it under control. Other days I can't, I don't know what it is. I'm obviously doing something different each, even between efforts, it could change. Um, mm -hmm. How could breath work help between those, those switches and to get that. And this is when I'm running as well. I start running my, my heart rate jumps up. Um, and then no matter how slow I run, I can't get it really to come down the way I'd like it to. Is the, are these things breath work can help with? Uh, yes. So right now, like my mind is just like, like a Christmas tree. I'm just, <laughs> I just start spitting some knowledge here. So let's, let's break it down first. And then hopefully for you and for whoever's listening to this, it will make sense and they can kind mm -hmm. of take themselves as they need. So break it down into the whole diaphragm muscle. Everyone thinks it's just for breathing. You know, they, everyone kind of uh, pins it right to yogis and yoga and the belly breaths and all that stuff. So actually your diaphragm is, is obviously important in breathing, but what it is more important in is postural control, generating abdominal pressure. So for easy listening, think of abdominal pressure as core strength. And a lot of other vital systemic movements. So it's involved in your GI system. It's involved in uh, your recovery and even intersets and, you know, post cover post recovery, like when you're trying to, uh, come down for a workout, recover overnight for, for the next workout and down the line there that way. But let's talk about max wattage if you're a cyclist and you're going for that, that big output. So anytime you're taking a breath, your diaphragm is literally coming down. So it descends into your abdomen. It squishes all those organs underneath. And that's what we call intra-abdominal pressure. If you have an intact core, your, your six-pack abs are pretty strong, your obliques are pretty strong, you're not losing pressure through that system. So now we've generated pressure. Where do we apply that pressure? Through our legs. So that's how you can start getting some big power outputs and, and that type of thing, with, which you're trying to do with cycling. Same thing with running. If you're doing running uphill, 
you need to do a lot more concentric or a lot more pushing to get up that hill and pushing you need more pressure so your diaphragm's got to descend and it's got to hold down to not lose that pressure so for anaerobic sports uh for you know weightlifting for those max wattage things pretty much what your diaphragm has to do is it has to actually descend create that pressure and then stay there so it's yeah. got to pressure going otherwise you'll see knees collapsing and knee buckling and falling and all that stuff so it's great in the sense that yes you can increase your power output you can increase the wattage you're going after however the diaphragm also likes to breathe so if you present the body with two options the activity you're trying to do versus Sorry about that guy. Yep. Right You're back. So, if you present it with two options, the activity you're doing or breathing, guess what? Your body, I don't care who you are, is always going to pick breathing. That means at the sacrifice of your postural control or the activity you're doing. So, if you, uh, in the diaphragm, again, it's just like any other muscle. So, if it, if, you know, depending on what you did before that max wattage day, uh, depending on, um, just where you are in your training or your programming, um, it could be fatigue. So some days it might, you might feel like I can't even get any power output at all. Mm -hmm. Let's say you did a core workout like the day before and you're still sore, you have some DOMS going on. Um, you might be losing pressure through the front anterior wall of your abdomen. So it's not that your diaphragm's not doing its job. It's just that it's not being held in. So you might be leaking pressure um, where you don't even know. So those types of small intricacies are really important to take note of. But in general, if you think about when you want to um, either go longer or you want to sustain your power output without having to double over and stop and breathe, mm -hmm. then we have to start training the back and the chest muscles to, to take over and do some of that ventilation to support the activity. So it's kind of a, it's a double um, effort uh, type of thing if you want to think about sustaining almost like an isometric hold of the diaphragm while incorporating more chest and back work to support the ventilation so that your diaphragm doesn't have to pick. Okay. So it's a, it's a two, it's a two parter. So one is just like any other isometric activity, you just train it for, for length or whatever you're trying to do. Um, while at the same time doing some, um, intercostal work, which is the muscles in between your ribs, doing some chest work, um, but avoiding um, kind of some gnarly compensation. So for you with your heart rate, what I would also be intrigued is, um, what are you naturally? That would, that, that would be my question is, what are you naturally? People can be chest breathers, they can be diaphragm breathers, they could be lateral rib breathers. Uh, mm -hmm. There really actually no wrong way to breathe. So the first thing you need to do is identify what breather you are. So for your heart rate, I'm wondering if you are more of a, a, a chest breather. Because I definitely that, am. I definitely yeah. am. So if you're a chest breather, then your diaphragm's already good at locking down and staying stiff. The problem is you've probably incorporated that just into your everyday routine instead of taking that only into your sport. Mm -hmm. So if you do that and you're, you're remaining a chest breather throughout the rest of the day, even at night, right? Um, you're actually overusing those chest and uh, lateral intercostal muscles, so they can actually get tight. And if they get tight and restricted, um, your lung, your lungs, and your ribs can't expand with the activity you're trying to do. So you're going to see that heart work really, really hard to try to sustain that 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 type of whatever workout you're trying to do. So for you, if your diaphragm's already nice and stiff, I would say let's train it to be a little bit more flexible outside of sport. But going back into sport, you already know what to do. You're, you probably don't even have to think about it when you go back into sport, but let's take you out of that sport mode for the rest of your day so that your whole system can kind of recover more, if that yeah. makes sense. If there were two words to describe my chest and back area on a, on a daily basis, it would be tight and restricted. So yeah. that might be uh, part of my issue. I've been trying to work on that forever, but I just get lazy about stretching i get lazy about all of it and i'm sure that's why i'm seeing those results it makes sense yeah. yeah it is it's 
they, the chest and the, and the intercostals, the rib muscles, things like that, they are not meant to do all the work for us throughout the day. Mm-hmm. They are great in times that we need to run away from the tiger. We need to go for a really fast sprint, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But they should not be doing our, you know, breathing at all times for all activities 24 seven. Yeah. Every physical therapist I've ever been to has pretty much scolded me saying, what, what are you doing? This is, I don't think I've felt this kind of tightness before. And I wonder if they've brought your breathing as a a concern. No, they never have. Yeah. So, and then (laughs) you come to me and I'm, and then I, you know, I teach you actually how to breathe. We loosen up, you know, the intercostals right away. Then you'll feel what it really feels like to take a deep breath and actually feel satiated from breathing. And mm-hmm. that's when the buy-in comes and people are, are spreading the word like wildfire. Well, I, I do know I've had results from breathing um, and I wanted to get your input on this. Some of my, as far as my, my squat PRs and my um, bench PRs, deadlift PRs, I've done them using, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with like the Wim Hof method. And hmm. a round of, and this this kind of goes back to what you're saying. I, I'll do a round or two of the breathing, and then I'll do a max effort. But in that in that sense, my breath is kind of held. I'm not asking my body to choose between breathing or a mat or the muscles. It's all muscles. It feels like at that point. Yep. Um, is that is is are you familiar with that? And is that something um, that's beneficial in sport? I am, I am familiar to a degree with Wim Hof. I know a ton of people ranging from weightlifters to endurance, uh, specific only athletes use it. Um, here's what I love about uh, this is, and this is where I really feel that um, I bring a new light to the word breathing. I think it's so ubiquitous that people are like, yeah, 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 I do that. Or yeah, I know it's breathing, right? We don't even think about it. Uh, we take it for granted every second of our lives and mm-hmm. we don't know. Like, so here's the thing with Wim Hof, with, with any other breathing protocol, they're great. I, I think they, the foundations of them are good. I think it's really great that Wim brought such awareness to diaphragmatic breathing, um, ways to facilitate it using like super cold water, um, those max exhalations with the breath holds and then you know, the, the survival response in us kicks on the diaphragm and you get that really big diaphragmatic breath. But I also say, um, cause I don't want to discount it. Yeah. I do, but there's an easier way to do this. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. You don't have, you don't have to feel like you're going to die or you're running out of air to get a really good diaphragmatic breath. And that's where I really feel like I shine in the field because here's the thing, people hear breathing, people hear, take a deep breath, take this, take that. Well, if you're a chest breather, you're just going to take a deep breath into your chest. Yeah. So most people, especially strength athletes, they don't know how to motor plan their diaphragm. They have no idea how to even access it because it's so used to stabilizing your posture and your core that when it's, when you can actually tell it, um, you're on a break, take, you know, take 15. It's like, what, you know, I don't, the chest does everything for me. Why do I got to take a break? So it's not necessarily that these things aren't effective. That's what a lot of complaints that I get when people come see me is that, well, I already do Wim Hof. I already do this and that. And I'm like, yeah, but do you really actually know how to motor plan your diaphragm? So just like, I want you to bend your right elbow. People can automatically do that. They can access those muscles. Their brain talks to those muscles and joints just fine. But does your brain connect to your diaphragm and can you actually plan it to move in the way that you want it to? And the answer is always no. So the Wim Hof takes extremes, uh, extreme measures to find how you actually, what your diaphragm feels like when it's on. Mm -hmm. So you have cold water, right? That big max inspiratory effort. Uh, the diaphragm has no other choice to turn on. Same with holding that exhalation until you feel like you can't anymore and you've got to take a deep breath. It's the same thing. It's like a survival instinct. Your brainstem is doing that. But your frontal cortex, which is responsible for doing the motor planning, is not. So mm-hmm. 
it is, I do like it because it does teach people. And I do use some of those tricks to be like, that's your diagram. That's how it feels when it moves. But the thing is that people, a lot, a lot of people can't motor plan it. And it's actually super simple. Um, if I, and I love the whole reason why I loved your, the name of your podcast is I was like, because when I give people these exercises, they're like, really, that's all I have to do right now. I'm like, that's all you have to do. And it actually sounds kind of lazy. Um, and that's why I get compliance and then <laughs> compliance, I get buy-in and then with buy-in, I get more compliance and then I get results. So if you think about the diaphragm just in general, like one tip I always tell everybody is, um, if you, you know, if you don't have back problems, you, go for like a firm surface. If you do and you prefer like a better couch, it's fine. Um, but, but for, and just in general, if you actually want to know how your diaphragm feels when you're using it, lay on the floor, take gravity out of the situation so that your body doesn't feel like it has to stabilize anything. So now your, your diaphragm doesn't really have to multitask stability for breathing. So take gravity out of the equation, lay on your back, and then put your, your knees up on a couch so that your hips and your knees are at 90 degrees. And then just breathe there. So automatically, you should feel more of a deeper belly breath. On top of that, what I'll say is if you want to put a pillow under your head for comfort, go for it. Um, focus your eye gaze down towards your knees. And then you'll really feel your diaphragm kick in. Uh, the diaphragm is, is a closely linked to where your eye gaze is. So, and then the other thing is you can do what we call meridians um, in Eastern medicine, the whole meditation pose where their fingers are touching. Mm -hmm. uh, compare your thumb and your pointer finger and you take a deep breath like that. You should feel it a little high into your chest. And then if you go to the opposite, the extreme opposite, which is your thumb and your pinky, and you take a deep breath, you should feel it lower in your diaphragm. That is bizarre. And yeah. why is that? <laughs> why is that? That yeah. is crazy. So that's just over time. That's what Eastern medicine has done. I, you know, I'm not big on, I don't, I don't have enough expertise on acupuncture, acupressure and, and those types, but I do know meridians can access that. And right away, it's just that cool factor. And then people are like, oh, okay, tell me more. What else can I do? Right. So that's how you can differentiate. What does a chest breath feel like? And what does a diaphragm feel like? Mm -hmm. um, I'm doing it in your car if you're listening to this podcast, but if you're at a long stoplight, you can. Um, and you'll, it should, for you, I hope that you felt the, the difference. You know, oh, pretty I, I did. I did. And those are two good uh, unmotivated habits. Like, and you're right. It has to be super simple for people to buy in. And then you can take it from there and get more complicated yeah. and complex but those are two super simple exercises that i'm i'm gonna as soon as i'm done this i'll be over at my couch right and, and that that eye gaze thing is bizarre why is it that your eye gaze um impacts your diaphragm my favorite one of my favorite things to sell people on is like okay why is this why first of all when you're doing that exercise if i told you um focus your eye gaze down um, people will be like, okay, that's kind of weird, but you know what? I don't, cause this, I work with kids. Mm -hmm. Tell me that I'm going to get a kid to lay down for 10 minutes like that and just keep their eye gaze down. No way. Absolutely not. The best way to do it. You get to use your phone. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> so these people, right? Everyone can get into this position. You get to use your phone as much as you want. Just hold it down more towards your knees or your stomach and, and just browse the internet and hang out. You don't even know that you're, you're incorporating your diaphragm. It's automatic in your body. So there's a lot of circuits that are involved in eye gaze and, and your breathing pattern. And these are primitive. These are, you could see these in babies and newborns. So it's, it's very primitive. It's very, um, you know, probably made for like the ancient uh, human back in the day, our ancestors. But if your eye gaze is on the horizon or up, you are eliciting all chest breath because where the head goes, the body follows. So eye gaze on the horizon or up, you're going to get some sort of extension movement at your neck, which is going to make your, your thoracic spine extend. And then you're going to open that chest for, for more of that, that breath. And then if your eye gaze is down, we associate that with flexion movements. So yoga, for example, 
tons of flexion movement, right? Eye gaze is always soft, but the cues that you hear all day pair very well with uh, what elicits diaphragmatic breathing. So uh, it's, it's a bunch of neural circuits that are primitive, we're born with, but for, it, like I like to tell people this as well, think about if you're sleeping at night and you hear a weird noise in your house, uh, you're not going to be looking at the floor and taking these deep breaths being like, oh, I just, I wonder who it could be. Like, it's just so relaxed and go with mm -hmm. the flow. You're either going to be ready to scan for anything as you search that house and you're going to be very quietly breathing. You don't want to give up your position, right? So that quiet breathing and that short, shallow breathing is more so your chest. So if you think about that whole concept, some people are living in this state just naturally. Yeah. They know how to access their diaphragm that it puts them into that um, hypervigilant state. Now we start talk talking about chronic stress, anxiety issues, the polyvagal theory, right? That's how important like, and diverse the whole respiratory system is in just your daily function. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not a doctor, but you are, so I'll ask you this. Those short, shallow breaths that probably leads to like the cortisol release and over adrenaline and all that, which just leads to tight muscles and all kinds of other problems that we all face just sitting in front of a screen stressing about work all day. Yep. And so, if you think about again, going back to that scary house or that scary noise you heard in your house in the middle of the night, uh, you it most people they don't even know they're walking around like this. So if you're trying to search for that scary noise in your house, your shoulders are likely going to be in your ears, like elevated right up there because you need to maximize that small chest space to get that, that short, quiet breathing. So over time, a lot of people complain about neck pain. They complain about tension. When you're stressed, people's, people's shoulders are up and they don't even know it. It's a hypervigilant. Yeah. And when you're in a hypervigilant state, physio your physiology is saying it's not time to relax. So people really don't know how to unwind. And then they hear, then they read some article and they're like, oh, breathing. Okay, well, I'll just breathe into this hypervigilant pattern I'm not aware that I have and wonder why it doesn't help. Yeah. So, yeah. And I find it's, it's, a few times a day when I'll think, oh, I haven't, I haven't been conscious about my breathing. Well, I'm usually not conscious about my breathing. But then for these short periods that I am, I realize, wait, well, I'm holding my breath all the time. Um, and I don't know why that is, but I'll catch myself just holding my breath. Is that, I don't know why that is, but it's, it's awful and it feels terrible. Yeah. So think about this. So a lot of times when that is a common complaint that I'll hear, People do that under two circumstances. Again, it's a stress response. So if you find yourself sitting at a computer all day, if you have a desk job, uh, you are likely already just because your, your table and your chair probably is very ill-fitted. Uh, the lumbar support that chairs claim to have probably don't. And so you're actually probably just breathing it. You're, you're creating that hypervigilant state through your breathing, right? And just having your elbows propped up on that desk. And then... Um, after a while, you're just wondering why, uh, you know, you have neck pain, all that, whatever comes from that. So um, I was just about to go on another tangent before I just forgot <laughs> it was. Let me answer that, what you just asked, and then I'll, if I have uh, a minute, I'll. Sure. I'll, um, so go ahead and repeat that. Um, I was talking about how I, when I, I catch myself okay. holding my breath all the time. Okay. Right. So that's one thing is that either your position at work or your job um, will create that hypervigilant stress response to where you just kind of breath hold just throughout the day for no reason. Uh, the other reason is, is if you need to focus on something very fine motor. So if you find that you are typing or let's say you're trying to edit this podcast and there's really precise things you're trying to cut out, and you go to a breath hold, you're trying to stabilize. Mm -hmm. You're looking for stability. So you're going to a breath hold because that's what your diaphragm has trained you to do posturally. So now you've associated, I need precision and I need accuracy. So I need to breath hold so that I don't have 
the normal movement to do maybe fine motor things. You'll also see people. So, so when I see people like that, who they'll be like, yeah, I don't even know why I'm doing it. I'll be like chopping something at the counter. And I'm like, why are you holding your breath right now? Or I'm typing a, a, like a long, I've got a good sentence I want to get out of my head really fast. So I'll, you know, type mm -hmm. it. And then I'll it after I finish that sentence or I'm editing something and I've got to hold my breath so I could see the precisely where that second I need to cut out. Right. Um, and so that's actually a stability uh, mechanism. So what I usually give people is a replacement behavior. Um, and I'll say, you know, I, not that I'm a big fan of, of necessarily, um, like chewing on things or whatever, but another way to get around that is in uh, like an oral motor uh, fixation. So if like you're kind of chewing on a pen or like mm -hmm. having it in your mouth, right? If you have something oral motor, um, what that means to, to your body, your body is registering it. Anything that's oral motor that could block your airway, your body will respond to, and you actually don't have an option, you will keep breathing. Huh. So it's a perceived threat to your airway subconsciously. So get a toothpick, get some gum, you know, yeah. things like that. Try to give it more of an oral motor fixation so that you can do those those fine motor daily tasks, things like that, and stop breath holding. So next time my wife says, Why did I find Skittles on your desk? I'll say, I'm just trying to breathe correctly. It's not a it's not a big deal. I need them. Yes, I'll write you a note and everything. <laughs> Thank you. Prescribe me Skittles. Any any Skittle preference flavor, I can prescribe that to. I like know. tropical. Tropical will work. Perfect. Awesome. Done. And on that on that note, kind of being at a desk all day, I read a little bit about um, your your focusing on ADD and ADHD and children and the relation to breathwork and exercise. Um, I, I know a lot of people that listen to this will say, does it have to be children? Because my attention span is like nothing, including myself. Um, so does, is this work that you do with children, does it apply to adults as well? Absolutely. Yeah. So just like everyone has a pair of lungs and diaphragm and all that stuff, uh, you also have, once you, if you have diagnosis of ADD or ADHD, you have that for your whole life. You don't outgrow it. Mm -hmm. You just look that hope hopefully people learn how to management a good way a healthy way and not an unhealthy way people with add are more likely to become addicted to substances or just undergo chronic substance abuse because they're looking for that dopamine hit so i really hate just a general just the word or the words that encompass add because it's attention deficit if it's HD, hyperactive disorder. I mean, those are so polarizing as a kid and you learn you have an attention deficit. So do I really even have a shot at something? And so I like to actually change it. If I could change it in the ICD uh, code book, we'll be okay with it. I would like to call it dopamine deficiency in the intrinsic reward and motivation system of your brain. Yeah. So yeah, breath work. I think I think it's hard to, I'm sorry to cut you off. I was going to say, I think it's, I think it's almost impossible to be creative or do, do great things if you don't have ADD or ADHD um, mm -hmm. because it just leads you down so many pathways because it's just naturally who you are. Yep. Exactly. But, so, it, but we, it is something we do need. Like I, I have never been diagnosed, but I feel like it's something I definitely have, but it's something that does need to be kept in check when you're trying to get things done. Yep, absolutely. And that's where you can say, um, as an adult, I mean, for kids, obviously it's easy to get buy-in because you're working for a reward. Um, or, you know, if a lot of kiddos too, they might be failing their grades or failing their class, like pretty much up into after the you know semester or whatever quarters they're on. Um, and then they see that they're not doing well. And then guess what? So then they're like, under, you know, they feel under the gun to get things done. And it's almost like that it responds to intensity. People with ADHD need intensity. They need intensity to get any sort of focus or get any sort of work done. So these people are, are highly, you know, categorized as procrastinators, but 
they're down to the minute, down to the wire people. That's where they actually uh, thrive. So I think that if there was more awareness brought to that, you could actually, you know, it's just like if you always have a friend who's always late, you just lie to them about the time that they're, they need to be there, right? <laughs> so if they're chronically a half hour late, you tell them that the event starts at seven when it really starts at 730. It's the same thing with, with ADD people. If you can just, you know, trick yourself into saying, no, that's actually due tomorrow, or it's due in five minutes, I need to get it done. Um, and kind of trick yourself into going to that intense hyper-focus mode. Yeah, that's what I do. I'll set a time where I get this thing I need to get done. I'm going to get it done by, uh, I'm going to, I'll set an hour timer and that's, that's it. That's all I have. And it is, it's tricking your brain into thinking it has to get it done because I you only get things done in crunch time. Yep. Yeah. Oh, and, and then, you know, for, I think ADHD, if you're a child and you get diagnosed with it, then if you can get into a structured exercise routine and you find types of high intensity anaerobic power and speed training, those, those kids do so well in, in sports and things like that. And they actually start learning that exercise is a nice coping strategy rather than the gaming or, you know, when they become teenagers, they get into risky behavior and that's how they get their dopamine and then substance abuse and reliance issues later in adulthood. So um, that's why I, that a big fan of introducing kids to weightlifting. Um, nothing requires your focus more than not getting killed by a barbell over your head. So. Absolutely. That's true. And I've, I've been there plenty of times <laughs> needed that, uh, needed that focus. Um, and on that note, I wanted to talk about some of the, um, the, in powerlifting, I was a power lifter. I haven't been, um, powerlifting the past couple of years. But uh, a lot of injuries in that, just because you need to be so precise. You need if something's not perfect, the the stakes are high with the amount of um, weight you're you're throwing around. So, um, how can breathing help with those chronic injuries? Um, for example, I've got shoulder pain, back pain, knee pain. Um, it's manageable, and I I stretch. I I try. I need to stay active, or else it gets worse. Um, how can breathing help with injuries? So, well, a lot of things. So if you take yourself, again, it has to be what breather are you naturally? What breath, breath pattern were you uh, born with? And then does it match the sport you're trying to do? So you'll also see this in, um, athletes who go from running and now they want to become power lifters mm -hmm. oh. then they wonder why they blow out a disc real fast yeah they've never trained or diaphragm to be stiff so it is really it really is so breath work is hand in hand with injury prevention if you are a huge chest breather and you're trying to be a runner and you're wondering why you have neck pain and shoulder pain and upper stiffness because you're asking that small engine to do a ton of work for a long time. Uh, I've actually seen people who were born chest breathers. They probably should have been a sprinter, but for some reason they wanted to do an ultra marathon. And because they were such heavy uh, chest breathers, they actually dislocated ribs. I've seen ribs pulled out front and being like, has that always been that way? And they're like, oh, or noticed until you just brought that up. So I'm like, your body is literally trying to breathe so hard through the wrong system that you're rearranging your, your foundational structure. So it's huge in, in injury prevention. The biggest thing is just bringing awareness. So what kind of breather am I? You can answer that pretty easily just by taking three deep breaths in a row. If you feel that your chest is rising, guess what? You're a chest breather. You feel like your belly is rising. Great. You're a belly breather. There is no wrong style of breathing. It's only when it doesn't match the activity you do. So if you're trying to be a, a marathon runner, you better hope that when you take a deep breath, you are breathing through that belly. If you're breathing through, through the chest, you might want to say, okay, I need to investigate this breath work and learn how to match it to my style of sport. If you are, you know, hallmark um, diaphragm sports are anything aerobic, running, swimming, biking, um, singing, you're a choir person and you're wondering why you're getting uh, trap and, and neck pain, 
you might want to look into that how your breathing support that. So it, hallmark chest breathers are more anaerobic athletes. So weightlifters, powerlifters, sprinters, short distance, um, high output type activities are going to be hallmark chest breathers. So if you're trying to be one of those sports and you're belly breathing, you might want to say, huh, I got to stiffen this diaphragm up to support the, the sport that I'm trying to do. Well, that explains a lot because I went from um, powerlifting and professional rugby and I went from that into uh, competing in an Ironman and it was just, it was hell the whole start to finish. It was awful. I finished it, but it was awful. By the end, it was just shooting pains down my left side. My back still hurts and it was three years ago. Um, can you go from one to the other and can you, can you go between the two if you learn to breathe properly? Um, yes. And I actually like to, I like to look at those, um, I like to look at the CrossFit athletes, the, the ones that go to the games and I like to watch them like I just on YouTube videos or whatever, when they're doing like a natural interview, they are the textbook boring breather. If you want to go back and forth between these, these types of sports, again, keep in mind that there is no such thing as a right way to breathe, but the general population, we like to think that your breath starts all the way in your belly and then it goes to a chest. So it's belly rise, chest rise. And then when you exhale, the chest descends and the belly descends. And that's how we think everything is. And it's really not. So people who are good at switching back and forth, their physiology naturally supports that textbook boring breathing pattern. Mm -hmm. So they basically tell me just through breathing and their posture that they can switch back and forth relatively easy. And it's no surprise that these um, athletes are big, you know, they, that they've made it to things like CrossFit where you have to do both ends of the spectrum. Where I really like to watch them too is I like to watch the ones if they have the kinesio tape all over their shoulders or only on their low back. I'm thinking, oh, we have a breath mismatch. And it's uh -huh. usually so yes, you can go back and forth. So let's say, you know, your lot in life is a chest breather and you want to do a, an Ironman. Yeah, you can totally do it. You just need to uh, really hone in on the muscles of respiration. You need, to, you need to mobilize the ones that you need to do that sport. Um, and it's a lot of just uh, what we call neuromotor re-education. So actually training the motor to support that breath pattern during sport. It's really annoying at first. I think that's where a lot of people get discouraged. They don't want to continue it. They'd rather just deal with their, their pain in their neck and, and things like that when they're trying to be a runner. But the, the nice thing about the, the body is that with enough repetition, it becomes natural. So I really do encourage these people. I'm like, just, I know it's so annoying because the first day that you're doing it, you have to think about your diaphragm. You have to think about your positioning and your eye gaze and you can't watch your time and things like that, because you have to go more on that, that RPE or that level of exertion that you mm -hmm. feel water pattern. A lot of people get frustrated with it. But I said, I promise by the end of week two, it will start to become so natural. Repetition, it, it is, it becomes your new um, program. So you're downloading the software, you just need to turn it into a permanent program that works with your body. And that's when you have people uh, by the end of a month of trying these you know, incorporating these, this breath work into their sport or just their daily life start to say, you know, I do feel better. I don't have that numbness, you know, running down my arms when I'm running. I don't have, you know, I don't have this and that. And so it, it's actually pretty cool. Um, and if anything, if you need more repetition to develop a new motor program, there's no better way to do it than through breathing because you have so much repetition just throughout the day because you need to kind of live. Yeah. <laughs> Easy. It, it's one of the fastest things to adjust to if you can just get over that first few days of just mentally thinking about it. That's just your body downloading new software. That's what I tell people all the time. So, Yeah, and they've got some of those unmotivated habit uh, foundations to start with. So that's helpful. You've already given us that. Um, I'm hopeful that maybe uh, as a physical therapist, tell me what you think of these things. Is, should I throw this out? Yeah. Yes. Love them. Love you them. love them. Okay, good. Cause I love it too. And I was holding up a, uh, I don't, I don't know what you'd call it. A, um, it's gun or the Theraguns. Yeah. 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 Um, 
so I've got uh, I've got a friend coming over later who's got a CrossFit workout for us that we're going to do. So I'm going to I'm going to test out some of these strategies, see how it feels. Um, I feel like we've just scratched the surface, and there's more I'd like to talk about. We're we're at the end of our time, and if you'd, I mean, I could talk about this stuff all day, as I'm sure you can. So I'm going to incorporate this in my next Max Wattage Monday. See how it goes. Um, if you want to come back and talk more about this anytime, I'd love to. Uh, and I leave you a part two teaser. Okay, perfect. After a workout, I don't care what kind of athlete you are. So if you are an endurance athlete, CrossFit athlete, um, strength, power athlete, after every single workout, that position that I said where you're laying on your back and your hips and knees are at a 90 degree angle and you're sitting on your phone being lazy, right? With the eye gaze down, do that after every workout, especially if you are a person that likes biometrics um, and biometric that, you know, tracking either through like the whoop or I have the bio strap. Mm -hmm. If you, after every workout, you actually tap into your parasympathetic. So you enhance your recovery. You enhance your HRV, your heart rate variability, your heart rate, your respiration rate, and then watch it translate into your sleep. So all this stuff, right? So part two, we could talk about how that influences all those systems. Absolutely. I would love to. Heart rate variability is what I'm on a kick with right now, trying to get that, trying to get that in check because it's so important for these, these rides I do and the exercises I do. So that is a great teaser for part two. And um, I know you mentioned you just started your own practice. Uh, where's, where are all the places people can find you? So I'm, I have a website. It's physiolinkspt.com. Um, my business is called Physiolinks because the foundation of it is physiology links everything you're going to do with your life. And so where is your breakdown? Usually when people can't find their weakest link or don't even know they have a missing link, um, they can't really optimize their health or their performance. So my, that's the foundation of my practice. It's an integrated body system. So physiolinkspt.com, or you can find me on Facebook at physiolinks or Instagram. I have physio underscore links. Okay, perfect. I'll put links to these in the podcast description so everyone can go find them. And um, Nora, thank you so much. Uh, Awesome topic. I can't wait to talk more about it and maybe we'll schedule for uh, early in the new year. Yeah, totally. I can't wait.